This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for makeaskilljack.com, and you can find more writing by me at hittingajack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at steveroseph.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. Welcome to the Concepts Podcast. Welcome. Today, no, there we go. Steve, Steve said it this time. Again, we're lilted. I gotta, we gotta decide <laughs> one way or the other whether we're letting you speak or not. <laughs> Let me speak. At the beginning part. All right. Today, we are talking about uh, a concept that I came up with that Steve decided he thought was good enough. Good enough. He deigned it worthy enough. Worthy enough to talk about. To be brought on the Concepts podcast. Yes. I ordained it worthy, and here it is. So, what is it, Steve? You want to you want to tell me what am I what am I teaching about today? Well, you're you're going to talk about ambient knowledge today. That's right, ambient knowledge. That's what you're going to talk about, not me. Yeah, actually, I, yeah, correct. I, I'm wondering. I'm hoping that while I talk about this, because I'm trying to figure out if there is a difference at all um, between this concept and just like a more granular concept of culture, but. We can see because uh, it's it's got a lot of parallels with just the, the idea of culture more broadly. Let's just start with defining it. The definition I have is uh, it refers to the knowledge of, a, of geography, customs, regulations, and other often unstated information that would be useful to know. The outcome of not knowing can result in social gaffes, but more often it will simply result in squandered money through overpaying, scams, or fines. That's uh, the working definition I came up with today. I should also note, too, before we get too far into this, I am in a suboptimal setting. I'm always kind of in a suboptimal setting because I don't have mm-hmm. a static recording location. As usual. Yes. But I think I did a decent job, so hopefully it sounds better than, than usual, or at least on par. But I'm using like suboptimal headphones, and the mic's not in a great position. It's a really hot room with no AC, so I've got a fan on, and I've got a ton of clothing draped around the room to dampen the sound. So if I've got echo and stuff, please overlook it. You want to know my situation yes exactly the opposite (laughs) yeah steve if you uh, if you ever listen to this and you wonder why steve always sounds better than me it's because we're using actually the exact same mic the only and we're in different locations the difference is his is or has been for years at this point fairly static in one spot and largely customized to his liking whereas i am the exact opposite it's constantly moving (laughs) and shifting and not at all customized in any way to what i would prefer were you actually considered recording in a car today (laughs) actually i've heard good things about that i've heard that the acoustics in a car can be quite good because it's all like they're not um right angles they're not the hard surfaces are just like most of the glass uh and some like odd shaped plastic on the doors and then the rest is like fabric and carpet and stuff so like even the, the ceiling of the car has some fabric there so it actually does a good job no it's, it's great great acoustics yeah but it's like 30 degrees and you'd yeah you'd be sweating unless you had the, the car on the whole time oh yeah i actually was like well in the middle in the middle of the recording we're going to take a break i'm going to turn on the ac just to just to cool down but i also realized that my laptop is it's getting up there it's 2014 mid 2014 mac i think it's not going to last an hour of recording so <laughs> that's what next it today otherwise i would actually be doing that's that sweating, off, sweating like crazy there oh no yeah okay so back to ambient knowledge ambient knowledge basically if you're in a location and you're living there it's information that you will come to know about an environment without actively seeking it out. So an example, I guess, 
will be that I don't watch sports at all. I actually find the Olympics annoying and I would rather just not know that they were going on, but people will constantly talk about it around me. So for me, I always find out that it's happening or it's about to happen because people around me, just tidbits of people walking on the street talking, or when you're waiting in line somewhere, people will mention something. You just pick up this information, even though I don't want it and I don't (laughs) seek it out. I remember one year when I think it was the Blackhawks versus someone else. Uh, it's an NHL Stanley Cup in Vancouver. And I remember actually knowing the score of, well, first that the game was happening at all, because I don't follow that either, obviously. And then I actually knew who won and what the score was and general vibes of people because they kept talking about it around me. Right. So this is like a minor example of the sort of stuff you'll pick up. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes when you're extremely disconnected, like you were sometimes in China, yeah. you would be cut off from this type of knowledge even more like you you didn't know about the song old town road i i always call it old country road because even in my head when you were saying this teeing it up i was like oh yeah old old country road but that's not what it's called yeah the little nas x old town road which was like yeah i miss it entirely greatest hits of what probably 2019 early 2020 and you completely just didn't know you completely missed that whole thing i'm glad frankly that would have been torture the entire time that was popular because i don't like either genre that that kind of straddles country and hip-hop so ambient knowledge as the things that you just know from being in the place that you are in your day-to-day it's it's kind of like knowledge that's just kind of in the atmosphere of sorts yeah just stuff you'll pick up by walking around there'll be signs that kind of teach you something things that people think are just super obvious here for instance I don't even know how true this is still now. I, I've not really looked into it too much. But like, for instance, should you shower during a, a thunderstorm? Like if there's lightning, should you take a shower if you need to take one? Because oh, yeah. I was always taught that it's best not to because yeah. you're basically connected to a system with conductive materials cascading over your body from metal to metal. So it doesn't seem like the best place to do that best time to do that and in china they just never heard of it it just wasn't a thing like they just i brought it up and they thought what why wouldn't you shower during a thunderstorm i'm like wow what so (laughs) i don't know if they have better like grounding like lightning rods in every building i doubt it frankly i don't know what the truth is here but it's part of our ambient knowledge that's just like a, a just you don't do that i would say it's it's one of those things that I've been listening to a debate discussion between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. One of the things they talk about is like metaphorically true. Like it might not actually be true, but there's a risk there that in certain circumstances it could be true. And acting as if it were true is actually still useful because like suppose there was some sort of faulty setup in a building during a lightning storm and you were showering there, uh, you could be killed. Mm. So like the, the cost is quite steep. So in that way, I think the metaphorical truth would be useful. I guess like still the odds are quite low because it's unlikely they're going to strike the building. If it, if it would, it would probably have struck it before because that whole thing about lightning not striking twice is kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, completely. It, it, It does hit the same place twice. Like, why wouldn't it? Well, I know we have to explain that a bit more because I was hoping you would go into it because it, it is a statement that people will be like, what do you mean? Because basically lightning follows a path of least resistance. So unless the environment has, has shifted dramatically, it will keep hitting the same things. Basically, the things that get struck are going to keep getting struck unless we change the, the landscape. So if you have like a good giant tower, it's going to keep getting struck and that 
is just how it's going to be until something more conductive or taller nearby is going to be built or unless it's brought down, I guess. But We're really talking about lightning quite a bit here. See, this is a dear listener. This is Steve's way of getting us back on track. <laughs> just plainly stating something. Yeah. Okay. So there was an adjacent term that you sent to me, um, ambient awareness. Did you want to explain what that was? I took a clip from that. Right. Yeah. So uh, before going into that though, what, what's the word ambient mean? Because I know we hear oh, it every now and then as part of the concept and it reminded me of the word ambiance. And so I kind of looked into them and looked at what's the difference between ambient and ambiance. Is it just like an accent, like a French accent? Is that the difference or is there an actual difference? I have a feeling for the difference. Yeah. What's your understanding of what ambient refers to? Ambient just means in the air around you, just something that's in your surroundings. Whereas ambiance is the feeling of the surroundings that you're in, usually yeah. decor, interior. Right. I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I came to as well. It, 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 there's the air around you is ambient. It could be ambient air. It's just in your, in your space. But the the ambiance is really the mood like you you can set the mood turn down the lights light a candle and it creates a a specific mood but these are all relating to things that are in your immediate surroundings yeah exactly applying that to the word knowledge it's almost like looking at knowledge that is within our immediate surroundings and it's not necessarily knowledge that we we have to be taught in a formal sense of going to school and you listen to a lecture and now you have the knowledge it's just our day-to-day, uh, the everyday life of, of acquiring things we know and understand and are aware of. Uh, that's kind of my impression of this concept. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, I fully admit that I might be reinventing the wheel of what culture is because it might be something very similar. Yes. It's information you pick up just by being in a certain area. It's like the air around you when you're walking around the assumptions in what, how things are built and the way people speak about stuff. You can kind of get a feeling for these things. Yeah. So you're right to dive into ambiance and ambience first. Yeah. And, and the related concept you want to get to ambient awareness perhaps I'll, I'll do another one first and that's cultural capital because you mentioned the word culture and it being very similar to what we're talking about here. This is actually a sociological concept uh, by Pierre Bourdieu and he, he uses the word cultural capital to talk about the, the knowledge that we passively inherit through uh, socialization, which means it's, it's a psychological concept for uh, how culture goes from out there in the world to in us and as, as something that we it's like a taken taken for granted way of looking at the world in terms of our language is part of culture our values our our social norms uh, and tradition and all of these things uh, and we don't really necessarily think about learning them but we we kind of passively inherit them uh, through socialization so it's not like property which is like capital, you know, we think of capital as economic capital, it's property is inherited and there, you know, certain inheritance laws and the rest of it. This is not a physical thing necessarily. This is an intangible internalization of, of culture. It really is a sociological concept. What are your thoughts? Um, it could be the one you're talking about is a sociological concept, but I think the one I'm talking about is more psychological. It's both. It's mm. a social psychological. This is very overlapping here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because it's about like the stuff you you individually learn. I guess it would be more psych because it's the stuff you individually learn by being around yeah. people in a specific culture. Yeah. And I guess where I would distinguish it from the, the sociological capital that you just said, no, sorry, cultural capital, was that that is talking about socialization, the stuff that I guess some people say it's... um domestication. I've heard domestication. some more woo-woo people refer to raising children as domestication, yeah. but it's just socialization. And that's usually what your parents do and schools do and all the yeah. institutions around you as a child. But I don't think that usually is, at least it's not usually talked about in terms of what us as adults deal with. Cause like when I went to China, I wasn't socialized there. I had to pick up a bunch of stuff because I was there, but I wasn't like raised in that environment. Well, and, and I guess socialization is not just a thing that happens in childhood, but it's a thing that happens throughout our, our whole lives really uh, at different stages. So you went, you were not being actively parented in that kind of traditional, uh, nuclear family version of socialization you were passively picking up things that you weren't actively studying. Like you were studying the language actively, but there were still things in in the environment that you were being socialized into, uh, uh, perhaps unknowingly or, or more knowingly at times. Uh, okay. So I think now is a good time to bring up my spore slash nodal theory of knowledge. Cause I think this is very directly related to what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you recall from this idea I proposed? Spore, <laughs> like spores, I think of like they're floating in the air and you like, you become almost like infected with it uh, quite passively, what? but no, no, no. Okay, that, that's, I'm saying that we are a spore or at least it's a metaphorical spore. So when I was in Australia, I wasn't necessarily actively seeking out certain pieces of information, but because I was there, it would be introduced and I'd learn more about it. And I was curious, I would ask more questions. So to me, it's kind of like, a spore, which could be you just wherever you end up finding yourself at some point, mm-hmm. you'll dro- have dropped a spore, I guess on that environment and the longer you're there the more it'll take root and the more it'll spread Mm. because it covers i'm saying like it's covering the area of knowledge to me i think the more approachable the knowledge is the more perceptive you are and the more curious you are the more quickly you will expand into the areas that are more easy can i try to like before you give an example can i try to summarize this in my own language because it it sounds rather complicated so you're saying like if you go into a different cultural context and the the people have very different ideas from your own, you can't bring them on board directly to your own necessarily, but you would have to have like little breadcrumbs of sorts or, or, or some closer lily pads that they can hop from before they get to the, the final one. So you introduce them to some small idea and then they become a little bit more open to the next idea, which I guess it sounds partly like indoctrination in some level as well and how that works and that you don't I think it's just the structure of knowledge right. like you can't start with the the giant most complex theories yeah. of physics you have to start with the easy stuff like just energy or the movement momentum stuff like mm-hmm. that it's the sort of thing you have to build up to so like for instance we can't really talk about centripetal force in physics until you know at least the very basics of like what speed is, what a vector is, things like that. And so you kind of have to build it up. Right. So for me, what I'm saying is like speed would be one node, vectors would be another node, and the two combined could make it a much easier jump from them to what centripetal force would be, which in case you're unclear, that's when you're spinning something. The force pushing outward is, I believe, if I remember correctly, the centripetal force. By having those first two concepts, it makes a jump to the part that would have been much more difficult before, uh, much more easy. Or for instance, with tastes, the example I was going to give was the Vampire Weekend. I was originally introduced to them by my sister. 
and I thought they were terrible. And then six months later, after exploring more music during that time, I decided to re-examine them and I found they were great and I have no idea why I disliked them. I think that's the case with a lot of different things. Yeah. Where I think this comes in with the ambient knowledge is that the longer you're in a specific place, the more you'll have fleshed out the knowledge of the immediate area and the culture and absorbed all of that. But you'll start getting diminishing returns as it gets further and further away from like the, the base part of your of where your spore is, I guess. You could keep just getting enough of what you need in the area around you. But if you were to go to, say, a new country, then you're going to start with basically nothing. And you're going to explode and double in size much more quickly than uh, if you were to say where you currently are. Got it. Got it. Okay. Again, I'm still trying to flesh out that. These are all very kind of like in the works still. I'm yeah. still trying to figure them out. Right. And so knowledge is gathered, not just actively, but passively, I think is a big part of this too, because this this is not about like learning about that different cultural context in a textbook. Each example you gave consisted of someone going to a a place. And so it's it's your, your ambient awareness of that place due to its proximity. You're actually in it. Uh, you're, you're acquiring these things. This is kind of beyond a formal study of the place. Yes. I think, though, too, that could work with metaphorical places. Again, Peterson's influencing my thinking at the moment because he always talks about like the metaphysical and metaphorical approaches to these things. So I guess instead, let's think. You can not physically go. You can keep working your day job and being where you currently are, but... To get the same benefits, I guess it would be like joining a new club or going online and like, I don't know, doing like chess.com. There will be stuff that you'll learn through the act of doing. That's, I guess, more active. It's not ambient. Say like judo. I started doing judo. And through that, I was ostensibly and focused on judo. But by meeting the people there, the type of people who are in judo mm-hmm. know a lot of different stuff from the areas that I normally would be. And so just through passively listening to other people's conversations or talking to people or shooting the shit, that made me know a lot more about much broader areas that I normally wouldn't have any exposure to. Oh, I got it. Okay. So going to judo, you're learning a lot more than just judo. You're picking up things about people's lives and, and maybe networks of people that you wouldn't normally hang out with and, uh, and some maybe slang or different language and other interests that maybe you haven't been exposed to. So going to judo is a lot more than just learning judo. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But that, I mean, when we're talking about like this, it sounds very much like just culture, right? Well, the judo culture, subculture. And, and not, yeah, I guess in a sense it's, it's, yeah, very much does relate to that initial concept of cultural capital and how things go from out there in the in the world to being internalized and almost taken for granted so that there's an overlap for sure. Yeah. Where I came to this, maybe that'll help. Where I came to this thinking was right now, again, like I'm, I'm still in the process of figuring out where I'm moving right now. It was originally going to be Halifax in the east coast of Canada. And instead, uh, the first month will be in a place in Quebec. So it ended up shifting yet again. But what I had to figure out while doing this was I don't really know the rules about different plates uh, for different provinces and how insurance works and whether I need to get approval to go through different provinces because apparently New Brunswick, you have to apply to be able to even just drive through it. What? Yeah, because of the pandemic, apparently that's what they're requiring. So there's a bunch of the stuff that I just didn't know because I'm not here living or in this area with people who are constantly dealing with these things. Or like, say, buying a car here, I I know some basics, but I don't really do it very frequently. Let's talk about that. (laughs) 
Yeah. And people, I guess, don't really talk to me about these things that much. Most yeah. of my friends are not car enthusiasts, or at least they know not to talk to me about them. Yeah. So you know, stuff along those lines. I, I just, I am dealing with a lot of stuff that even in my own country, this is my culture. This is where I grew up. And I just have not been here for the past like five years almost. Yeah. And so that part of my adult life would have been more rich in this information because more of my friends would be willing or would have gone to different areas, bought more cars, bought houses, sold houses, right. all these things would have been going on. And if I'd been in the immediate area and I might've talked to them or they might've messaged me or right. whatever. And I would have learned a lot of this stuff just by being here yeah. without having to actively seek it out. And so you and a lot of the people you spend time with, especially while traveling, haven't really owned cars. Like most of your adult life, it seems like you, you, you didn't own a car, maybe half of it. I don't know. Uh, but not very much from what I remember uh, while traveling, you're spending time with People that don't own cars generally, uh, people who are staying in hostels, maybe they, they have in the past, but it's not like a, a big important thing. They're not like look, going, going out to the Toyota dealership and like talking to you about the pros and cons of the side airbags and the safety ratings. And you're not within those networks of people. Right. And, and so your ambient knowledge is not informing you for your own decision how to buy a car because those aren't your networks. And then you talk to me, someone who is, is in more of a conventional situation and is interested in cars and talks to people who are buying cars. Uh, and I've, I've really had a car quite a bit. And, and then you say, I'm looking for a coupe. And I'm like, you're looking for a sedan. And so even the difference between the concept of a coupe and a sedan, I'm like, that's like common sense in a way from, from my perspective. But that's a, it's not part of your ambient knowledge, I guess you can say. Yeah. And that's usually when I find that I'm, I have these gaps because people condescendingly often <laughs> point out that you should know something. I'm not saying you per no, se. No. Though you're usually like, you don't know that as if they've caught me with my pants down. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't rub it in your face that you, did, you, that you mislabeled the sedan as a coupe. Uh, and maybe I'm doing it right now. But it's, it's, it really... <laughs> in public, too, no less. <laughs> oh. Uh, so we never we, we kept hinting at this thing. We should actually talk about it. I'm just going to jump into it because I keep throwing it to you and you keep not doing it. So ambient awareness. It's I'm going to link it in the show notes as usual. But it's an interesting concept. Basically, here, I'll just read a clip from the, the Wikipedia page that summarizes yes. it pretty succinctly. It's slightly different than an ambient knowledge. It's, it's a related concept of ambient awareness. It's similar, but it has its own kind of trajectory, which I, th I find interesting interesting. And, and what was that, that you found? So quote, according to Clive Thompson of the New York Times, ambient awareness is very much like being physically near someone and picking up mood through the little things, body language, size, stray comments. Academic Andreas Kaplan defines ambient awareness as awareness created through regular and constant reception and or exchange of information fragments through social media. Therefore, in, in effect, two friends who regularly follow one another's digital information can already be aware of each other's lives without actually being physically present to have a conversation. End quote. Yes. So this is how social media creates an ambient awareness of everyone's lives and little fragments through something like the Facebook news feed, which was a prominent example of how this really started to happen. Do you remember Facebook before the news feed? Uh, what do you mean? Wasn't it, didn't it always have no, that? They, they, no, they always had a wall. No, it did. It, it, there was a point when Facebook didn't have a news feed. You would only be able to just go on other people's profiles and comment on their wall. I do remember there was a, a turning point when they, when this news feed thing came up and I was like, this is a, this is a strange idea. Why would I want to know what everyone else is saying to each other? <laughs> <laughs> um, related to this, though, I think is parasocial relationships. 
which is like having a relationship that's with somebody that you don't actually know. Mm. So like celebrities or people on podcasts like us, you, dear listener, mm. you specifically, the one listening right now, you, we are talking directly to you and you can feel like you know us, but we don't actually know anything about you, which is why it's parasocial. It's funny. We're talking to you, but we're talking to each other with nobody else actually there. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're a little bit psychotic at the moment, yeah, uh, but not, with good reason, <laughs> technologically psychotic with that. I think the ambient awareness, because you, if you follow a celebrity and they keep having updates on your feed, just like one of your friends, then you could have an idea of how they're going, like what their life is up to, mm. what they're doing, how they're feeling. And so you can, I, I actually feel like I've had this sometimes with people. Yeah. I, I've noticed that sometimes I'll be like, Oh yeah, that guy. I've, they seem like they're going through a rough time right now. And I haven't talked to them directly at all because I just noticed that yes. they're posting like angry things or... That's exactly related though. That's what ambient uh, awareness is. That's ambient awareness. Yeah. But we're, we were actually, I mean, this whole thing is ambient knowledge. So, <laughs> But it's related to that too, because you, you can know things about someone's life through these minute fragments. Like they put a status that they're frustrated or, or whatever it is, put a picture and you're like, Oh, they're, they're traveling there right now. I know they're traveling there right now. And you could just feel like that you have this ongoing parasocial relationship with, uh, with kind of a network of people. But then if you do send them a message, it's almost as if you're not just relating to them from the last conversation you had, you're relating to them with a, with kind of a background understanding of like, Oh, so how was that trip? But you never had talked to them about them going on that trip. You know what I mean? It's, it's a strange middle thing. Yeah. And it can be like borderline creepy, I guess. <laughs> they may actually be related. Like the ambient knowledge could be related to ambient awareness because you will just by like opening up certain apps, you'll get updates. They kind of nowadays, since you don't engage enough or they're trying to increase engagements with how you're looking at commenting on and like liking statuses and stuff like that, they will push pretty much inane updates from people in your network, even though I don't really want to know them necessarily. Like I don't use Facebook that much other than just the messenger app to keep contact with certain people. And it will occasionally be like this random person that you don't look at, talk to, or really have anything to do with normally that, that person just made an update or like uploaded a photo and you're like, great. Why are you telling me this? What's the the algorithm must have failed there because it doesn't make sense. It randomly does that sometimes because like it could be like a friend of a friend or somebody that maybe uh, when they post, I might look more frequently, mm-hmm. but I do it so infrequently that any single look seems to influence uh, who mm-hmm. it decides to start pushing at me. Yeah, I guess they are. It's the digital equivalent of that because even if you don't want to know, you still have some of these things come around. Yeah. Like uh, right now, there's a huge issue about Afghanistan and the U.S. pulling out. Yeah. It's not a particular area of interest for me, but I know a bit about it just because it, there's headlines everywhere, and I'm trying to avoid it. But if you go on Reddit or just Facebook or whatever, people will be discussing it. So I know without wanting to seek it out, without wanting to know this information, it keeps coming in my awareness. And so it's part of the Overton window, which we haven't talked about, but it's part of the political discussion at the moment. Yeah. And so because of that, I, I can't escape it. So that's, that's part of it. Cause like some of these things I have put my foot in my mouth or I've really stepped in it because I didn't know what was happening um, at the time. So I, you remember that time when people were getting really mad about the Confederate flag in the States Yes. Uh, when I was in Australia? Yeah, yeah I remember that. 
Yeah. And I put my foot in my, my mouth because I said, okay, first, I don't know the weight of this word. If you're aware, if you're an older generation, then you know, the word uppity is, uh, it has racial connotations that I was not aware of. I've only ever heard it used from my parents talking about me specifically or my sister. <laughs> There's unrest basically is what it's, what it means, but it was used specifically about black people in the Southern States, I believe, but I didn't know that. So in this post, I said, why is everyone so uppity about the, the Confederate flag all of a sudden? Yeah. I didn't realize that like some like most of the people our age didn't realize there was any connotation there because like we've never really heard that. But like my aunt and a couple of the people that saw it were like, what the hell? Like, why did you say that? <laughs> a racial tone. Yeah, it's a racial tone about a racial topic yeah. that I didn't know anything about. I was again, I was like several months outside of this whole cultural bubble. And all I sudden see, I suddenly see a ton of people on Facebook talking about this this Confederate flag issue. And I'm like, why is it suddenly an issue? And because of that, I got like jumped on by a ton of people. I did find out what was going on, like to be clear, mm-hmm. but it was not the most enjoyable of experiences because I automatically was pulled into a bunch of debates. Oh, automatically without wanting to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could have not engaged, I guess, but by making that, that post, I feel like you, you should probably engage. Right. You ask a question, if people are going to respond, you should probably talk to them. <laughs> Back onto ambient knowledge directly, there was another form of ambient knowledge I came across. Uh... It was two of the technology and situations. It seemed a bit more narrow. So they didn't really define it very clearly. Basically, it seems like they're using artificial intelligence to figure out, based on the user's device, their location, time of day, and like their normal habits, it will use that information as ambient knowledge, as they're calling it, to um, determine features that would be activated for specific users. So if you're a real estate agent and it's 9 a.m. on a Monday, then it might just automatically start pushing certain cards at you being like, these places are on sale or like, this is the price of this and like whatever might be relevant to you. So that that is another way that they're kind of this ambient knowledge is being customized to each of us, which kind of brings us to the point I was going to talk about, which was uh, how we're not we're, we're having less and less shared culture as we go on. What do you think about this? Oh, yes, especially with the political polarization in the U.S., where it's not so much about shared uh, U.S. or shared American culture. Uh, and this applies elsewhere, but the, that's kind of the, the biggest example within the last few years. But it's more about uh, the siloed kind of you're part of the, the, the liberal or left-wing culture or you're, you're part of this uh, maybe even right-wing or to the extreme QAnon and some of the more conspiracy theory-oriented cultures that that have been stoked. And now it's, it's more you're being pushed the type of information that you already look up. Being siloed, basically. Siloed, yeah. So if you if Facebook figures out that you are into this particular political philosophy, maybe you're going to get more of those types of things, and so you're getting further socialized into that that uh, culture and having shared beliefs with those groups. And then the other, if you're in the other side, you're getting kind of more polarized the other direction. And it's really pulling people apart, uh, not just individually, but culturally. Oh, yeah. It's like divide and conquer. Because mm-hmm. if you want to go with like the whole like external external powers influencing North American politics and stuff, like Russia has been caught in these ways. You can say whether you believe that or not. But it is traditional information warfare and divide and conquer. Because like right now, like they have at least been caught in certain instances, stoking both sides of a protest mm. to get people to just continue fighting and be more and more at each other's throats and less as a 
shared nation. So like, yeah. I think it's even more interesting and terrifying in some ways that you can have a culture with people that are nowhere near you. I can have a culture that's shared with a group of people. We are all individual cells, basically, if you want to think in terms of that, that can act independently. So like the whole like incel movement, for instance, they're not together. They're not hanging out. They're all just a bunch of people online. So when the next attack will happen, mm. it's completely up in the air for where that might be coming from because they're so disparately located just all across the globe perhaps and same with any other kind of vicious movement like that or positive movement even like we just don't know where they are they don't need any um real leadership Mm -hmm. in their immediate area it's kind of like fight club just like popping up because it resonates in some ways not 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 incels per se but just any cultural artifact at this point or, or group as we keep getting more and more siloed, then the only shared culture we could have is the knowledge that's in the air that is just around us, like how buildings are generally laid out and how streets tend to work and general niceties in, in cultural exchanges with like vendors and stuff. These things will still but be there. But what if there. we stop going out? Yeah, then then it'll, it'll weaken even more. That's the, that's the thing. We're losing shared culture. And I'm not against technology. I'm, I'm a, a pure kind of very highly oriented toward doing things virtually. But... Uh, not on an individual level, but for a cultural level, if we have to stop going out uh, out of our homes, we're having less of a shared culture because we're having less shared interactions and we're getting further siloed into these things we're talking about. It's kind of like a, what's it called? Um, classic book, Huxley, uh, Brave New World. It's yeah. like Brave New World where everyone is entertained to death. But we, we're, it's not even in the entertainment realm, though. It's it's like we can be productive on our own. We can have Amazon deliver anything we need. We can have the food box delivery service deliver it to our doors or whatever. Uh, we, we're not required to, to go into these shared public spaces anymore, or especially right now. Okay, wait. Right now is actually a great time to talk about that because that's not entirely true. There's a huge section of people that still are quote unquote essential workers that have to go. They don't have a choice to not. Mm-hmm. So that's true for the moment until all these jobs get replaced by robots. But currently we're seeing based on this whole, like what I call, what I say is illusory labor shortage. People keep saying like, if you have to raise minimum wage, they're just going to replace you with robots. Well, now would have been a great time if that was such a viable and easy option. Why didn't they just do that when they're so short on, on labor and the labor is actually asking for more money? Just get out the robots. That should be the solution. Easy solution at this point, right? Mm-hmm. But obviously it hasn't happened. So that's no. just a false claim. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Eventually at some point that will probably happen. Yes. And I think the Obviously, the pandemic accelerated this type of situation. We were headed in that direction already. I mean, there's still holdouts. Mm -hmm. Headlines talking about how people miss their commute. They miss the commute, specifically. (laughs) I get that. And I'm like, nobody misses the commute. Okay, fine. Majority of people hate the commute, especially when you're like stuck in gridlock or on public transit with just like all the other sweaty masses. Working schmucks just like you who have to wow. just be huddled in there at 7 a.m. What an elitist. No, no, no. I'm saying it's unenjoyable. I have been there and it's not like I'm above that, no. frankly. Right. It's just that I have never enjoyed that part. It's the part that I hate. I'm barely awake. I've, I'm trying to swallow this coffee to wake up and I'm stuck being jostled with people around me as this loud machine delivers me from point A to point B so I can go to a job I don't particularly enjoy. I don't know. My experience of it's a little different though. You've had a very charmed situation. Let's not assume that that's no, normal. No, I've, I've commuted. I've driven a car to, I, I worked in a hospital. The commute was only about a half hour and, and sometimes there'd be traffic in the mornings. But if you enjoy the driving experience, you have a, a, a car that you enjoy, how it handles. Just to be and, clear though, 
a half hour commute is actually short. Well, it's long for around where we live. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's what I said. Charmed. (laughs) So yeah, if it's like a half hour of like, you're actually moving, it's not stop and go. It's not on a subway or on a bus. You're in your own comfort of your car where you can listen whenever you want. And you're not being jostled by other people and you have climate control. Yeah. That sounds pretty not bad. Like I, I could probably get behind that. Oh, that's what you're referring to as jostling. I was like, are you like playing bumper cars? And you're like, no, okay, you're referring to public transportation. Oh, okay. No, yeah, see, this is this is your privilege coming out. Most people, <laughs> I think, especially in cities, do not commute by car. They commute right. by public transit. Right. And so you're with all those other people who are also not in the best mind space, waking up to go to a place they probably don't really want to be. Jostling makes sense in that context. Yes. Or being stared at in the case of China. That was that was pretty common for me on, on the bus. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of uh, excavating our own ambient knowledge here and how we have different experiences, which leads to perception differences. So when you use the word jostled, I think of gridlock traffic and people kind of tailgating and bumping into you. When you see, said the word you're referring to in a subway, which I guess is more unique to Toronto and in, in our, our particular location. It's cities more generally, yeah, because Canada's subway, like our public transit system is terrible, uh, especially between cities. Hmm. Uh, there's another area I was I have a note on here that we could talk about, which is non-corporeal cognition. Whoa, fancy. Yeah, that's the term that I gave it. I, I don't remember what the actual term was. Basically, it's outsourcing your thinking from your head to objects or the environment. Ooh. It was part of one of my cognitive science courses I took. We are already kind of cyborgs because we use our phone to outsource thinking. I use my phone for notes. I count on my fingers um, sometimes to remember certain things, especially using the Chinese method, which allows you to count to 10 on one hand. These different tricks allow you to think better and more clearly uh, using objects in the environment. That also kind of comes into play because different cultures use different things. And I guess you can pick up these things ambiently because like when I saw people counting in China, because I was curious about it, I ended up learning it. And now I do it instinctually. Right. Here, you need both hands to count to 10. I, I, I'm still very curious. How do you count to 10 in one hand? Easy. It's just different different calibrations. The hang loose, like your pinky and your thumb out with all your other fingers down, that's six. And then Putting like the, think about how Italians speak with the three fingers kind of touching like that. Instead of facing upward, put it downward like you're inserting a coin into a slot. Uh, that's seven. Having your forefinger and your thumb out like a gun sideways. Don't point it at people because some of my coworkers would point their, finger, their, their gun fingers at the cashier, say eight. Uh, but you turn it sideways. Uh, nine is just your index finger bent, uh, every other finger down. And ten, I think, is either um, crossing your fingers or just a fist. Interesting. Wow. So I, I instinctually do these things. And sometimes I'll like when I have my mouth full, um, I would try to communicate with people using those, but they don't obviously in this context, it's less useful for communicating with others. Yeah. Same with the sign language word for why American sign language is to use the hang loose one, number six, and go from above your head down to your face, like bringing your hand down. That's the question why. And that was useful when I was, when I had people who could speak ASL around me, but not, not so much outside of those contexts. Yes. Uh, oh, so another thing I thought was interesting was, okay, so ambient knowledge again, back to the, our main idea. My mom was a nurse. So I learned a fair bit about that. She also baked a lot. She cooked a lot um, and she has crafts and stuff like that. My dad plays guitar. They all garden. And I picked up a lot of that knowledge and I don't know how or why, because I don't remember my mom ever kind of explicitly sitting me down. So just being in the house when she was baking and stuff and watching her do things like how she would level off uh, measuring cups and stuff or how she would fry stuff or how she would do this and that. I wasn't actively paying attention. It just happened to be observed by me. And so my natural 
natural skill in those areas was probably above somebody who had nobody in the house doing these things at all. Right. Automatically, it's kind of built into your intuition. I like that example. It's like the everyday life of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, like knowledge is, I guess, in some ways a living thing because yeah. it needs to be fed and discussed and explored to remain. Where I was going with the medicine part, though, is that like my mom was a nurse, so just some more practical, hands-on stuff when things would happen around the house. I learned how to deal with these things through that. And then through university, I learned some random stuff by like talking to people from various disciplines. But then I went to China and it still baffles me. I don't understand. I think because their tradition is more the Chinese medicine tradition. And I'm going to be upfront. I don't mean to insult anybody with this, but I do not believe in that at all. To me, it seems outdated and needs to be researched through the scientific method. I think it's a great place for hypotheses. And I think that it needs to be more rigorously tested in reputable journals. But I think there is probably some value there. I just don't know where, yeah. what is valuable and what's, what's just right. So I think with that, though, there's a lot of different beliefs that come with that. Like, for instance, a woman on her period shouldn't drink anything cold. She shouldn't even wash her hands with cold water. She shouldn't take a shower with too hot or too cold water. I can't remember exactly how that one works. It, all because they have these beliefs about like temperature in the body. A lot of it's just I can't see any real value in it, but they, they do it. I think there was value at some point, like a lot of cultural knowledge. But where I'm going again with, with medical stuff was that the average person didn't seem to know that much about actual like what I understand medicine to work as and how basic biology works, mm. which the reason it's so baffling is because there they have a huge appreciation for the hard sciences. Yet the only the reason I'm talking about Chinese medicine is because they think that that kind of makes a bunch of people go astray. And they're also taught that a lot of the time, at least this is some of the ambient knowledge there, that China and Chinese people are vastly different than any other culture, especially the West. A story came up with one of my friends. She was working at an English training center and um, she's fluent in Chinese. A student had donated slash given a hamster to the school and they didn't have any food or know how to take care of it. My friend, who is Portuguese, said we should give it some water. And her Chinese compatriots, who I think their only education was in um, English, so they, they could speak English well, but they didn't study the sciences or anything along those lines other than what was mandatory. They said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. We don't know that Chinese hamsters are the same as Western hamsters. Maybe we shouldn't give it water. And she said, what? What are you talking about? Why wouldn't we give it a water? And they said, well, hold on. Let me check Baidu, which is their version of Bing, I say. Uh, they looked it up and they said, oh, okay. Baidu says we can give it water. We can give it water. Because they weren't certain. They think that, well, not all of them, obviously. And this is just maybe some subsects or less educated people. But these are people who are like more educated enough to be fluent in English and to be able to teach it. Yet they didn't understand that every living organism needs water. I, I, stories like this are not uncommon and I just don't know how that's possible. So in that situation, I think that like sometimes I guess some ambient knowledge can actually be counterproductive by having these, this belief about Chinese medicine basically their version of humors. Frankly, it seems like our stage of medicine where humors where we have like bile and phlegm and all these other four or five humors, that's where there's kind of stopped with Chinese medicine. They still use our medicine, but it's also competing with their version of how that works and what, what they think about that. And it's wow. very popular there. People will tell you all sorts of stuff. Really? When yeah. I was stuck at my ex-girlfriend's house for the first, the beginning of the pandemic when nothing was going on in North America, they wouldn't let me shower for an hour after we ate dinner because it was bad for you. What? And I'm like, I don't believe that. I don't think there's anything to do with that. And so they just heavily discouraged me from, from showering strange. after yeah. there was any food. Okay. Yeah. But these are just 
cultural beliefs. It's a paradigm shift. Yeah. And the thing is, unless you're intensely curious and you actually want to know the reasons why, you're one of those annoying people that ask why constantly. Like us. Part, yeah. You'll accept things part and parcel and just say, oh, okay, that's just how it works, I guess. And so that's, I think, why things can be very confusing because if you actually examine cultural beliefs, every culture, there will be parts that just completely clash with other parts of it. And unless you're fully faced with it, you don't seem to notice. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty powerful example there in terms of how it's such a different paradigm. It's almost unthinkable for us to to know how that makes any sense. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also another example of like cultural ignorance is so here, if we're in an elevator, we expect that if we put our hand between the doors, it will it will stop and it'll reopen. So if if somebody's running for the elevator and says, hold the, hold the elevator, and you say, oh, shit, and you, you can't find the button quick enough, so you put your hand in the door and you try to stop it, right? It'll stop, it'll open, yeah. and the person will get on. Right. No problem. Yeah. There's a story that I heard about that where there were medical students in India volunteering there to, to help in whatever situation, I guess, rural India. When the person's running up, the the student that was volunteering there, uh, they put their hand in the door and the guy that was in charge of the volunteers, the guy that was in charge of the, the hospital said, like, pulled the person's hand back and said, what are you doing? And they turned to the, the head of the volunteers and said, I thought you brought intelligent people with you. What What is wrong with your people? And the reason was they don't have the same safety standards in every country. And in that particular context, it was not a safe bet to assume that the door would stop. <laughs> so that person might have lost their hand. No way. And from like our perspective, it seems ridiculous. To, to assume that it wouldn't. Right, right. So this this ambient knowledge, it's like our um, taken-for-granted understandings of the way the world works. And we don't... But it, by that definition, it just sounds like culture. It's culture. It's just culture. Yeah, we're basically, basically talking about culture. We're talking about culture today. Yeah, but when... Put it that way, it, it's more interesting. It's not like, oh, just culture. It's like somebody's looking at you like you're stupid and you're going to get your arm cut off. And we're just like what? I'm just holding the door. <laughs> it's like, it's, there's real world implications there. Yeah. Another example is I'm currently in Toronto with a car and I don't really know Toronto that well, even after having lived here for six months, because it was during the pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really going anywhere. And now I'm driving around to different places that are relatively nearby. It's all really close when you have a car. Now I realize that I don't really know much about like the parking culture here or what sort of laws. Like, There's always a law on paper that is ignored. There's tons of laws like jaywalking, if you jaywalk in front of a cop at like 3 a.m. with no cars around, chances are he's going to let it slide because that's not really an important rule to, to... I actually got pulled over for that. Jaywalking? At 3 a.m. with no one around. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Somebody was trying to make their quotas. So it's hilarious you use that example because that's literally what happened. Yeah, that's, that's unlikely. But like in general, we know that the chances of that are pretty low. <laughs> um, not for me. It's like what I was talking about with in I don't know, episode 10 or 11, I think it was, where they were talking about um, different drivers from different cultures, they know which laws are actually in practice, which ones that people actually follow and which ones that people just generally ignore. Mm-hmm. On paper, you could study them all, but you don't really know that that's a law because people don't act in that way. Yes. The other things, yeah, these are, again, I think you're right. I think one of the discussion questions I had was how does this deviate from culture? I guess it was, I was distinguishing it from culture because it's still, it's more individualized, I think, than that. The ambient culture you've absorbed. Because, like, I am not culturally Chinese. I would never claim to be culturally Chinese. <laughs> but that has definitely influenced what I know about the world and how the world functions, right? So there, there seems to be some sort of cleft there. You have Chinese culture mm. by virtue of being there. I've absorbed, You've and, absorbed it. And studied some Chinese culture, yeah. You're not going to identify as it, though. Yeah, true. 
Yeah, I guess it is still culture. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to split hairs here, I would say ambient knowledge is the stuff that you've picked up as you just walk around. Like a, a whale swimming through the ocean and just like random stuff has gone through your, your teeth, like mm. the different random krill. And that's the stuff you've just absorbed. So it's while there is krill all over the place, the specific ones that you've absorbed through that means would be your your ambient knowledge, Ooh, let's say. I love it. Ooh, the, the, the metaphor of the, the whale in the ocean, like passively absorbing things that are floating around in, in, within the water, the ambient space of the water. That, that's a really nice metaphor. Well, thank you. I could come up with you more, but I, I would just be beating a dead horse. <laughs> uh, the one last thing I guess I was going to talk about here was um, how this kind of relates to I don't know if this is even related. Let's see if you can connect it. <laughs> no, it's not related. Okay. Well, then we'll just not talk about it. No, I'm just joking. We're going to talk about career, I guess. Well, I was going to talk about what, what a career is. Cause I think it's kind of like ambient knowledge in a way too. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, there's two definitions for a career. Uh, one was from a business book that I, I learned. It's not mainstream, but it was probably one of the more practical definitions. Mm. So the traditional definition is your body of work that takes up the majority of your life. Basically, whatever you've done at the end, looking back, that was your career. The, the things you accomplished that are objectively observable. The definition I liked, it's more useful for an ongoing and developing career, mm. is it's your career at least is defined by the network within a particular field of people who like and are willing to work with you, either as coworkers, employers, employees. It's the relationship network you've created in that particular domain. So if you're able to, in a particular domain, if you needed a job or you needed to find somebody to do a job, if you could list a number of people or the a number of people you could, that you would trust to do a good job and that would be probably willing to take it, that would be like a well-developed career if you're able to do that in a particular domain. So for me, for a bit, teaching English in China was relatively well-developed because I could find people pretty quickly and pretty easily. What do you think about this definition and how, how can you relate it back? This is... <laughs> I'm giving you my homework. This is perfect <laughs> spot on sociology uh, and particularly another concept by Pierre Bourdieu, uh, social capital. So we already talked about cultural capital, but this is literally the definition yeah, like of... Yeah, weak ties. This is the definition of social capital, which is... The quote, the networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society, enabling that society to function effectively. Uh, so that's kind of a big, a bigger picture version of it. Yeah. But you're looking at it in the micro. But it's just, it's more narrow than that. Yeah. That's the macro definition. Yeah. For a specific person in a specific profession. Yeah. Yeah. The macro definition is how a society functions. The micro definition is exactly what you're saying is your weak ties are, are what you develop throughout a career, which is your, your network. And it allows you to, if you lose a job in one area, you just reach out to this person and be like, Hey, I'm available. And they're like, Oh, perfect. We have this for you. And you, you and it's like a safety net really the social capital. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. How does it relate to ambient knowledge? I guess it's just the things and people you pick up along the path of doing a career. Usually, incidentally, it can be done purposefully. And I actually, through that definition, I think I would encourage doing that, keeping in touch with people even after you leave a job. Right. And not just for the sake of uh, yeah. career advancement, but also just being friends with them because then you'll end up finding more opportunities for both of you and it'll be mutually beneficial. And I've talked about this before, but the value of a network is the number of nodes in the network squared. So the more people you have, 
in a particular domain that you can turn to or you can ask for help or whatever, uh, the more powerful your network will be and the more you can help people in the network as well. Again, going back to, I guess, uh, altruistic networking. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, pretty much it. I think this particular episode was a bit more meandering. Any Anyone that I am doing from a concept that I've just been like kind of randomly spitballing in my head and thinking about will probably be like this. So hopefully you enjoy it. If you do, you can let us know. You can join us on Discord. You can email us. It's uh, concepts with Phil and Steve at gmail.com. Really long, I know. Wow. But you can find it on our, our website, which is conceptspodcast.com. All of our show notes are there. And uh, yeah, thanks for showing up. All right. Very good. Take care and we'll see you again. Well, we hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> like, did you do your sound dampening? That's how you move forward in life. Kicking and screaming.